Welcome to the Self-Storage Lab, where we deconstruct how operators are adapting to today's technology-driven landscape and how it might impact your business. Today, we're talking about facility management software. Whether you're a facility operator seeking a program for the first time or looking to upgrade your existing system, choosing the right software is one of the most important decisions you'll make. To help you navigate this decision-making process, we will explore your options and touch on some of the important questions to ask when selecting a software partner. Later on in the episode, we'll talk to a few operators and chat about what went into their decision-making process. All right, well, let's talk about uh, FMSs or PMSs. Uh, I, I like FMSs, facility management software for folks that don't know. Um, PMS uh, is property management software. So I feel like we talk about these, like whenever we're talking about our integrations and, and people are always asking, it's like, oh, what, what does that stand for? So just want to make it clear. There's two uh, ways to identify a, a, a management software. And uh, those are it. A new day, a new podcast, still getting nerdy. With acronyms. I know, I like it. Acronyms to kick us off. So most of y'all know by now that we also have in tandem for the podcast, we, we have uh, in tandem a, a operator's blueprint, right? With tech, the technology and the landscape. And so I was like looking at that prior to us hopping on and we have around like the top 10, I would say, like we, we talked to a lot of folks, operators in the industry were always like, this is literally what we live, like integrations and all that in our conversations. And so I think we, we have like the, the ones that we hear about the most, at least. Uh, not not saying they're the, the best at the top, just the ones that we hear about the most. Those are 10. I was looking at some other um, just landscapes, like uh, Inside Self Storage has one, right? They have a whole listing of technology. And they have over 50 facility management softwares on that list. So this is a, a pretty competitive market, it seems like. Um, whenever we're talking about just facility managed software. And, and I'm sure for operators, it has to be a pretty like intense, um, just in general topic to, to like try to decide on what technology to use. So excited to, to jump into this. I think, you know, every time that we talked about the blueprint and even starting the podcast, like, I mean, I don't know, eight months ago or something, um, you know, the two big categories that, we wanted to tackle uh, like specifically and do it really well was uh, your property management system, your FMS and your website. And I, I think th those two pieces of the puzzle and, you know, we've already go listen to our podcast about websites. Um, you know, it's, it's one of our top listened to podcast episodes already. Uh, you know, I, I, I think when you think about digitization of self-storage, the push from, you know, hey, I'm driving down the road, I see a billboard, I need to put stuff in there, I walk into an office and I rent, like, what are those tools that you need in order to, to, to really move into the digital age? Uh, you know, you need to have a website, it's your digital storefront, somewhere where people land. And I think a property management system is really the backbone of your business. It's, you know, allows you to understand what units are available, uh, what's the price of those units? Who's in what units? Have they paid? Have they not paid? Is there a gate code uh, somewhere, et cetera? And so uh, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty important, uh, you know, piece to the puzzle uh, in self-storage operators' lives. 
So I'm excited about today's podcast, to say the least. We've been talking about this one for a while. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy, right? Like you're like you're just saying, it, it does act like the main hub. Um, you know, like even I, I would even say at, at the top of the technology stack, if we were to to look at it that way. Um, I know there's pros and cons uh, to that uh, statement, uh, but if you think about it, like whenever somebody's uh, let's say you decided on a location, right? The perfect location for your, your facility that you're either building or buying, right? You have to craft a, some type of business plan, probably get funding to acquire the asset, uh, make sure the brand is, is set up, uh, make sure you have your marketing uh, plan and strategy in place. And then uh, you have to start thinking, okay, what, what's the next thing? It's actually building the, uh, the foundation and, and making sure that you have the, the proper tech stack or the, the proper management software so you can open up your 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 doors, right, and 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 start welcoming customers and being able to manage, track, uh, have reporting as to you know what units are available, what's not, et cetera. So, um, you know, again, it, it it is the it is the main hub for for a lot of like storage businesses. Yeah. So I think I think today we're we're going to get back on track to some of our normal blueprint kind of uh, outline of 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 how we started the self storage lab. We're we're already kind of jumped into the introduction of the category, but we're going to really break this down into, you know, why does this matter for operators? Uh, how, what kind of questions and features and decision points should, should you be looking out for as, as you're going out to, to compare facility management systems? Uh, and then at the end, you know, maybe some options uh, and other resources that we can help provide. With that all being said, I think, you know, as integrators in the self-storage industry, we're going to try to be as unbiased as possible. You know, Rodolfo said uh, that he's gone out and seen a couple of lists of 5, 10, 50, top 100 uh, facility management systems. They all have their pros and cons. Uh, I think a common theme here is not one size fits all. And, you know, I think we're, we're going to continue to, to try to just lay down some facts so that you guys are well prepared uh, to go out and have the conversation with facility management system providers uh, in an intelligent way. So I think we've, we've kind of already gone over what a FMS is, right? And what overall it does. So starting to get granular and do you get, do one of you uh, mind kind of going to, you know, there's also different types of, facility management softwares, right? There's the ones that are on site. Then there's the, the cloud based. Can you, can, can you guys kind of walk through the, the, the main differences and, and um, what, what each does? Yeah. I think when people think about software, the old method, the old uh, way of installing software was you buy a, buy a disc or actually before that you bought a floppy, um, you installed it on your computer and then it, it ran there. I think, the um, we've definitely moved to cloud-based, um, where everything just kind of runs on a, a a web browser. There are a few pieces of software um, that still run, I guess what I'll call on-site software, and this is an app that's running on a computer that you have to to to, to start up and load. Um, they're generally connected to the internet, so they can talk to each other and talk to other other stores, for example. But they're pieces of software you have to you have to continuously update. Um, one of them, as uh, as an example, is SiteLink. Um, I think they're they're one of the last ones to kind of be moving away from that. I think they both they offer both uh, on-site and cloud-based um, solutions because 
some are operators still, um, they just, you know, they're on the old, old style software and they're going to continue to do that. But I think, um, it's very clear that the industry and software in general is just going to, to cloud-based. So you open up a browser, you go to, you know, myfms.com, uh, you log in and that's where you're using it. I think one of the big benefits there is that is it's, is that domain available? <laughs> Let's go check if it is. Uh, pause the po- the podcast because uh, we're going to go buy that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's great. Dude, this is this is giving me like flashbacks to like having to buy um, whenever I had like a PC, like a micro, like the new Microsoft OS, and like having to install the new Windows. Yeah, having to install like needing to buy each one, having my my uh, my. Uh, what is it like student uh, discount on all those things? <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm sorry, Kyle. You, you were good. just now visiting my FMS.com. I am. And it's, uh, I don't know what language this is. It's in, it's in uh, Dutch, um, which is Ooh. funny. FMS must be some, something else over there. <laughs> um, but I think what, one of the benefits of, you know, cloud-based is that you get updates constantly. So you don't have to have to like update software or, you know, you have to do uh, versions you're always just getting the, the latest. So if there's a bug or new features, you just have it uh, automatically. Yeah, I think a couple other things too, like outside of just going to a web browser and going to a, a URL, um, you know, there are other ways to interact. I know that some uh, facility management uh, software providers uh, provide, you know, say a desktop application, uh, you know, whether you be on Mac or, or, or a Windows operating system, a PC, a, a personal computer, you know, where, you know, you've got that open as a browser like you would or like your email client, uh, unless you're in Gmail and you're in gmail.com or uh, like a calendar, uh, again, unless you're in Google's ecosystem, which is all browser based. Um, and, and another kind of advantage of those cloud based software systems is the ability to maybe potentially even have like a mobile application. Uh, I know I've talked to a, a handful of operators uh, that love the ability to carry around their facility management system in their pocket. You know, maybe you're a, a smaller operator. You've got three to five locations and you're on vacation in uh, Hawaii and just to uh, make yourself feel good at the today's the first of the month. And you want to check, uh, you know, how much money's coming in and the status of being people past due, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, maybe you have a mobile application as well that, that you have uh, there. Not that you couldn't have a mobile website that's optimized, but uh, actually having an app downloaded on your phone, um, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, the, the the last thing I would add to that is just a lot more scalable, right? According, you know, if there's new features coming, it's way easier to to update to the next version. Or again, there's always like new things coming out, right? So it'd be a lot easier to just get that. Um, with something that's cloud based just to, to get the new feature and having not having to like buy it separately a la carte and, and have to add it. So uh no that that's awesome. And I think there's there's even um a few that are kind of hybrid, right? Where it's still an app and a computer, but maybe everything is uh you can save it remotely um on like somebody else is hosting it. So it, it's it's interesting to to see the types of software. Um you know and, and again going back to there's probably 50 or so or more. So it, it seems like it's it's an, it's not a one size fits all. So how do y'all think an operator should think about this whenever, you know, they're they're trying to to select uh, uh an FMS? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just like any software that we've talked about in the past or uh, anything else, I think it comes down to, you know, the the key features that you're looking for, um, as well as the price uh, and what the benefit of those are, right? And so, you know, a facility management system can be as robust as managing your entire business. Uh, It could also be as slimmed down as you know, something that maybe just has a map of your facility, it has how much those cost, uh, and its ability to run, uh, you know, your your automatic payroll, or sorry, uh, your automatic rent every single month, uh, etc. And so I think, you know, when you come to that, you go, well, what are those features that are potentially valuable to an operator? Uh, and so, you know, we can kind of go down a list of probably the top features to look for. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I mean, FMS, facility management, it's software that's managing you know, units at your physical location. So it's keeping track of those, you know, you have unit numbers, you have, is it available or is it not, you know, how much is it? Um, and then how it relates to, you know, your, your customers. So in a way it's not just managing your facilities, it's managing your customers as well. So, you know, who, who, who's in what unit, um, how much is their rent? Are they current? Um, all that kind of stuff. So, I think you have to decide like how much do you actually want it to do? So is it as simple as, you know, we've talked about in other episodes, is it like sticky notes on a whiteboard? You're just tracking which units are available and which aren't, or are you tracking all of your customers and, and it, is it doing a lot more of your day-to-day business um, through, through, through that software? Yeah, that's interesting. Oftentimes I, I see like just whenever we're talking to operators, um, you know, in the past year, year and a half, obviously the goal of an operator is to keep expanding um, their brand. So they add more locations um, or whatnot, or, or, or try to acquire more locations, et cetera. But you know, oftentimes there is a, um, a bit of a, a transition from whenever they get to a certain size where they, they may need to start investing in a little bit more robust platform. So that's where we see like the transition from one platform to another, which, which I think is happening more often now, uh, which is, which is interesting. Yeah. I was just going to also add some other things. Like I, I love Kyle, like that you broke it down into the kind of the two main buckets. Like one is you're managing your actual physical building, right? And so it's the units, it's the unit number, it's the features and amenities of that unit, right? Is what kind of security features are in there? Is it a drive up unit? Is it climate controlled? Uh, and that relates directly to the price of the unit. Um, you know, and then on the tenant side, uh, it's not just, you know, are they, it's a CRM, but it's much more robust than a CRM. A lot of property management systems can also track how often they entered the building because they integrate into your access control system, um, et cetera. And it, it might have all of the touch points that you've had with that tenant. So maybe uh, you sent out a past due email uh, and that's going to be tracked in their timeline. Um, and, and so I, I like that idea. Uh, and, and then on top of that, there's probably... A connection point between both of those sides of the table, right? So somebody's got a unit, you've got the tenant information, maybe you've got uh, some software in the middle uh, or, or some algorithms in the middle that are, you know, figuring out exactly when to raise their rent. Um, maybe there's analytics reports around that. Uh, I, I know that I've looked at facility management systems that showcase your most active customers. Uh, maybe they have predictive algorithms to figure out, you know, who might be churning, uh, you know, 
due to like how frequently they're visiting their unit, um, et cetera. And it also could be utilized as a tool for your internal communications team, right? And so if there's a map of the facility in your in your system, your software system, you know, a call center agent uh, could remotely, you know, give directions around a unit, say, hey, you're going to see an elevator on your left side, take the elevator up to the third floor. Uh, when you get off the elevator, you're going to take a right and your unit's going to be in the back left corner, right? Uh, and, and they've got a really nice visual sitting in front of them because that software system is allowing for them to to do those things. Are there any key features that maybe I missed there or maybe even make sense to to kind of um, go take a step back and kind of list these out as, hey, you know, when you're looking for a unit, here's some of those key features. This is what that feature could do. Um, anything that you guys think that I missed here? I mean, I think one of the major ones, and, and I think it's just in tandem with what both of y'all said, is a mix of, I feel like one of the top, I guess, uh, major like uh priorities of of management software other than actually managing the the tenants and units is uh dealing with payments right delinquencies making sure the like you mentioned like those reminders are set up making sure that you know you you have um you know reminders drip campaigns um making sure that you're able to 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 get that that payment uh, back, like you were mentioning with with access, right? Those integrations are important because it actually automates and streamlines you having to identify a, a particular tenant that might be delinquent or current, and, and you can deny them access. So it just like a, has a whole waterfall effect on the whole customer experience, which is really interesting that we're seeing. Um, another thing that I hear a lot is revenue management. And so again, just getting insights uh, around, you know, what rates are competitive in your market, uh, what price uh, to actually put in front of um, potential uh, tenants, uh, are there variable rates that you can play with, right, to uh, in the shopping experience to kind of nudge someone to go one way or another. Again, I think that's that's been a, uh, a big topic of conversation over the last few uh, months um, and it comes up in sales conversations just to kind of like understand what, what that looks like. I think that that overall kind of highlights the top features for uh, for an FMS. Yeah. And I think it's important to also keep in mind, I mentioned this earlier, like how that your FMS should support how you do business. And so, you know, if you're if you don't have an FMS yet, and you're 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 maybe you're a single location operator, you've been doing stuff. You know, you're you're doing your books by hand. You you have your your sticky notes on a whiteboard. Um, you know, I think y- you probably have a long way to go to like get a lot of these um these these uh, software stacks in into your into your workflow. And so, maybe you don't need you know a, a ton of these features yet. Um, but you know, like. If you are not already uh, renting online in 2023, I mean, like it, that's just the kind of an, an expected thing, right? So you have to have a website. You have to be able to to, to look at inventory and rent online, uh, make payments, all that kind of stuff. But let's say that you know this this um, the integration between your FMS and how your website functions and how you do business is is really important because let's say you have a website. And a person gets to, hey, I, I, I know I want to rent this unit. 
But when they get to that point, they have to call you. They can't actually check out online or reserve online. Or, you know, they ha- you have to take a payment uh, uh, over the phone. Um, I think that's going to be real frustrating to, to a lot of customers. And so I think you need to decide on how you want to do business. Um, and that's going to dictate what type of SMS or sorry, what type of FMS you have and how it connects to, uh, say like your, your website, which is a big part of, of, of operators nowadays. Yeah. The only other like really big integration outside of a website provider that I would, uh, like touch on is probably an integration into your accounting system, right? Because, you know, if you're sitting here relying on your facility management system to take payments and to keep you updated, I think an integration into say QuickBooks so that you have a really quick, easy way to import all of your, uh, you know, bank statements and, and whatnot uh, for profit and loss for investors, for yourself, how you run your business. I think that's a really, really big key uh, integration to make sure. Uh, and I'm sure most of the facility management systems integrate into your, your major uh uh, accounting software. And I, I forget, I was listening to uh, something the other day, you know, QuickBooks for, you know, small business operators is, is obviously the leading accounting software. So uh, I would imagine that that's there, but just verifying that that is uh, to to the point, Kyle, you made how you run your business. Um, if you're using QuickBooks or using some of their accounting software, that there's an easy way to get your billing information out of your facility management system and into your accounting software. So, to like you were saying, Mason, to kind of to kind of summarize this part, right? The key features that you should look for, at least keep in mind, one is making sure it integrates to your website, right? Making sure that your there's definitely accounting. You can take payments. Um, you have the ability to set up auto pay, right? So you can streamline a lot of that and make sure that uh, delinquencies um, and all that gets settled. So you can obviously hit your, your revenue goals and, and are able to track everything that's going on. I would say on the other side of things, you know, uh, an integration to the access control, if you do have that type of technology in place, would be an add-on or benefit. Because um, now that you can start obviously allowing or denying access um, and, and kind of getting alerts as to the, the motion of tenants coming in and out on premise. Um, and, and even... This is maybe a we didn't talk about this. It's not really necessary, but if, what the heck? If you want to go ahead and and try to automate that whole journey of a customer, uh, think about of uh, you know think about looking into smart locks, right? So you can actually get the full end to end, like from start to finish, um, uh, journey of of uh, prospect to tenant, um, being able to get access codes, being able to unlock or lock if, if somebody goes um, delinquent. So again, if they don't pay, you can lock them out. So that that's interesting. Anything else I, I missed? I think those are really good features. And uh, I do want to take a, a list of features. I want to take a second to talk about, uh, and again, this goes back to Kyle's like, hey, this is how you run your business type of a thing. And the I've seen a number of interfaces from a facility management system, uh, you know, everything from a super simple 
you know, map that's a, a two-dimensional map from a top-down view to really nice ones that are three-dimensional and you can spin them around and, you know, pick out the the unit that you're looking at and, you know, actually see that unit like visually with pictures and images, um, you know. So I think like looking at that UX and understanding how you're going to be engaging with it, how easy is it to move in a tenant if I'm behind a counter and somebody uh, is moving in today? How easy is it to take a payment if they're coming up? to the cash register or a kiosk or, you know, doing it online, uh, you know, how easy is it to do those online rentals and e-signature signs? Like, what does that user journey look like? And, and specifically from a user interface and a user experience uh, perspective, you know, maybe some of the more powerful ones are a little bit more complex. They're going to have a lot more buttons. They're going to have a lot more things that you need to learn, where some of the more simple, um, you know, facility management systems get you 80% of the way there. And the interface is a lot more friendly to use. Um, and, and then we can probably take a step back. I think we have a pretty unique lens on facility management systems because, you know, we don't normally interface with logging in to the interface that, you know, say an operator looks at every single day. We're looking at the JSON data. We're looking at the XML data uh, and the structure of that data from their APIs, right? And, and so we kind of look at the back door, the, the the nuts and bolts of it. And so, you know, it's really an interesting kind of dynamic. And, and I'm sure we'll get into like, what should you look for and what questions should you ask uh, as you're going out and looking at these facility management systems? Because not only does the initial demo with a salesperson show you kind of, again, the things that are really nice and shiny and the buttons that I can click, but understanding the data structure underneath, understanding their API structure, um, how easy is it for you to, say, build a custom solution if you wanted to? Uh, say you wanted to go build a mobile website. Say you wanted to go you know, create some automation uh, somewhere. How easy is it to, to, to do that piece of the puzzle uh, with the API and the, the access given from a technology perspective? Let's also not forget about analytics and reports. I think uh, every operator that we work with and we talk to, you know, they, they want to know how their business is running. Um, you know, from a simple stuff as like, what's my occupancy rate to are there trends, you know, or is occupancy going up? Is it going down? You know, it will help you make pricing decisions. It'll help you make, um, you know, other other decisions with, with your business. Um, and you know how, you know how how granular are is the FMS uh, that you're choosing? Uh, how, how granular does it get, and how much how much uh, I guess flexibility as well? You know, can you do custom reports? Is it just you know basic uh, numbers? Are the reports on the facility level or on the global level? Mm -hmm. Can I permission that so that my store manager has a set of reports that they're looking at and me as a business owner has a different set of reports or, or just access controls? I think all of that is a, you know, those are all good points, Kyle. So uh, talking about APIs and and how an operator can control their data, et cetera, I guess from like the technology side of things, it seems like it, there's a myriad of, of, of platforms out there that are either you know open or, or closed loop. And y'all coming from like the product side, what are your thoughts there as to the the lay of the land right now, where it's going, as it comes to as it as it relates to being kind of closed loop or, or open loop? If that makes sense. I don't know if one or the other is 
better from an operator perspective, right? Like a closed loop ecosystem, maybe there's no APIs. Uh, it, it might be perfect for that operator. Um, it might do everything that that operator needs it to do. And maybe it integrates perfectly already with, you know, things because within that ecosystem, uh, there, there are the functionality that I need. Um, you know, I believe in software development uh, that is API driven, meaning that, uh, and even in kind of some fancy terms, maybe it's a headless system, meaning that everything is API driven, even the interface that you're engaging with calls an API. And I believe in that because it allows for expansion, it allows for flexibility. Um, you know, it's interesting because we get, uh, you know, requests from our customers all the time around, hey, can you do X, Y, or Z? For instance, we had a customer recently ask us to send a text message at a specific time interval at a specific action taken by a customer, you know, and and you've got to go look to see, is this even possible from a technology perspective within that uh, documentation that is provided from the facility management system? Um, other things that you've got to look at from an API pr- perspective outside of just like, is it closed or open? But how easy is it to... Uh, to, to normalize that data, right? So I, what I mean is like, if I'm looking at some uh, facility management systems, they might have the ability to have 40 different price points in that facility management system. And I've got to understand why there are 40 different price points. Uh, you know, maybe there's a web version, there's a promotional per- version, there's a discounted rate, you know, there's other things that are named very similar and, and understanding that uh, is interesting uh, and, and difficult to do from a normalization perspective, uh, but trying to understand kind of how that stuff is is done. In today's development world, uh, JSON for engineers is king. You know, I know there are some older systems out there that provide things in an XML file. And so there's got to be intermediary uh, processes from a technological perspective in order to convert data from an XML to something that's maybe readable by a newer system, um, et cetera. Damn, Mason's getting real nerdy. Yeah, sorry. I kind of went off. You asked me about <laughs> API driven versus closed loop. And I started to like, you know, go down a train of thought that just kept going. I think also uh, a question to ask is, is it uh, or what what's the cost? Because some some uh, FMS software or uh, um, providers, they will charge you for access to their APIs. Um, and some uh, do not. Some are free. And so it kind of depends on you know, is it something that is providing enough value? Are you willing to to pay? Um, and sometimes it's, you know, uh, it's a monthly cost per location and that stuff can add up really quickly. Um, so that's also something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it for just to, to make it an even playing field for operators listening in, if you think about an FMS solution, it's, it's a software, right? And they run on a SaaS model, software as a service model. Uh, usually either paid monthly or yearly. And like you said, Kyle, pricing is primarily affected by either the number of facilities, locations that you have uh, under your portfolio or the number of units that you manage in each location. I've seen both pricing structures. Um, There's no definite pricing structure really. And then obviously these add-ons, right? Um, You know, we know that uh, API Uh, access there's uh, another add-on to that and then there's that's usually like what cents per per hit 
Um, and then if you want to add in any of the other like specific integrations, I know like some of the uh, larger uh, FMSs out there also have a whole stack, right? Um, where they also provide websites and they also provide, uh, you know, insurance or access, et cetera. And so depending on kind of what you want, uh, that will, I think, comprise the whole, like how much it costs. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I'd talk about around, you know, say a, an open API that's free versus uh, an API that's paid. And, and I don't know that there's a, a same kind of topic. I don't know that there's a better scenario. Um, uh, there, there's benefits to both. To, to me, as a technologist, open APIs typically incentivize collaboration and ecosystems being built. And, and I think that's important, right? So like maybe you've got a little bit of a lighter weight uh, facility management system and you're going to rely on partners to fill out the feature set around. And, and I think that's important because a lot of those partners might specialize, right? Uh, maybe to a, a point that Kyle made, uh, you're a person that loves data and the built-in reports are not flexible enough. Well, an open API, uh, there might be integrations or easy integrations into Microsoft BI so that you can push that data in there. You can create your own uh, reports, uh, call out to our recent podcast. If you haven't listened to it already, go listen to our business intelligence podcast. It's, it's another really great one that we've done in the past. Um, but I think that that's important. Whereas, you know, a closed, uh, ecosystem typically de-incentivizes collaboration and, and ecosystems being built or, or partnerships being built. That doesn't mean that a paid API disincentivizes that. Like, again, as a technologist, I understand that there are costs associated uh, with the back and forth communication. Uh, and for anybody that doesn't know, APIs and application programming interface um, this is how software talks to one another. Uh, they send, uh, you know, they're basically it's a uh, a, a kind of like I'm trying to think of the the things where you're like connecting the dots. Like, hey, you know, this is how we do this function, and when you send us this information, you're going to expect to receive this other information back. So maybe as Swivel, we're asking for a list of tenants, right? And so we're going to say, here's a list of tenants, and I need to send in my API keys and a facility ID that's associated with a specific location. And that API is sending back to me, you know, say that list of tenants and what information is available in that tenant. I might understand their account status. I might understand their unit. I might understand their unit number and their unit size, et cetera. And so that's what an application programming interface does is it, it details exactly how that communication has to happen. Um, and, and so there are costs to that. I understand that. Uh, I think there is uh, not only the maintaining of the API documentation and of the service, but there's also every time that you hit that, that endpoint or that call, you're saying, hey, I want that list of tenants. There's a cost to the server to run whatever it needs to do to send that information back, right? Um, to Rodolfo's point, if you're looking at, say, the, the biggest cloud API providers in the world, in Google and Amazon and Microsoft, these are typically fractions of a penny, right? But they have humongous economies of scale um, and, you know, a specific vertical like this. You might not be fractions of a penny, but uh, that that API cost should be relatively low. 
And uh, I think the key in this is that it's priced appropriately. I have seen, um, you know, where like really large companies like a Yelp, for instance, that just to play with their API from a reputation management perspective, the minimum monthly fee is $20,000, right? Like that's a huge thing. Um, now they do that because they're, they are trying to de-incentivize uh, collaboration and other systems integrating because it affects their main business model, which is ads, et cetera. And self-storage, that, that use case doesn't necessarily always play out. The customer uh, is self-storage operators. Typically, the business model is uh, how many locations do you have and how many units are at that location. And so this by having an integration partner come in, it's not taking away business normally uh, from that facility management system. And so being priced appropriately of an API to say, hey, you know, we're not going to charge you per location. We're going to charge you per API volume uh, is something to look at. And again, I'm not saying that there's a pro or con to having a free API versus a paid API. It just needs to be priced appropriately is the the final comment that I'll make. And so understanding that as you are making a purchase decision today for future decisions down the road for access control, security cameras, whatever it might be, uh, you know, revenue management systems it is important. So we've been talking about pricing on API. Um, if I don't need API access and I just want to, I've seen FMS uh, to, to run my facilities. Well, let's talk about just regular pricing. Like how, how are these things you usually priced and what, what can I expect to pay? Yeah, I think it's similar to the former conversation that I had. Um, most of the time, what you see is a per location price. Um, I would imagine most facility management systems have per location discounts as you add more locations to it. Um, and in some instances, more mature companies do uh, unit counts as well, right? So you might have a per location plus some type of a unit count going into the algorithm, uh, et cetera, to, to come up with that price. Uh, range is probably anywhere from 50 to $100 all the way up to probably four or $500. Um, the only other thing per location uh, per month, uh, just as clarification there, the only other thing that you could probably bucket in is if somebody, uh, if a facility management system provider is offering add-ons. So you might have, uh, say, an entry-level price point for the basic units, uh, the basic billing infrastructure, the basic tenant and CRM features, uh, but to add in this package of advanced analytics or to add in this package of advanced whatever feature we're talking about cost an additional thing. And, and that could be a one-time package price, or that could be an additional per location parentheses, you know, maybe some unit uh, number count being factored into that as well, too. Something to completely step away from pricing really quickly. Uh, something we haven't mentioned right now is like tech support, right? So say, you know, I am that operator uh, that is either switching 
from one system to another, or maybe I've been doing the sticky notes on the whiteboard, or I've got a you know map behind me that's all taped out with the unit sizes, and I just post a, a you know an index card with the person's name and phone number and when how they 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 plan to pay me, and I'm transitioning over to a facility management system for the first time. You know, one understanding kind of what the onboarding process looks like. Uh, how, how are we going from current status quo to the new world where I'm in this new system with all these new bells and whistles? Uh, do I have an account management uh, direct report that like at any point in time I can call or text message or, you know, email? And when a problem arises, what's my service level agreement? How often, uh, you know, are these servers because these are cloud-based as we talked about? How often do they have downtime? You know, what's your refund uh, process look like if there is is downtime. Hopefully there's no downtime. I haven't ever heard of any major downtime across any facility management system providers that I've seen. Uh, but also just like, what happens if I onboard a new store manager? Who's training that store manager? Or if they have a question about, um, you know, for whatever reason, a, a tenant is not getting uh, emails or can't pay their bill, who's going to help us solve that problem? I think understanding uh, that lay of the land is probably a, a pretty big key uh, to the decision because early on, just like in uh, dating, the dating world, all the bells and whistles and the fun stuff, I'm really excited about the bells and whistles and this UI and I've got a mobile application and I'm excited to be able to track my sales reports on my phone from my vacation home in Hawaii. Like, But after that initial romance period kind of wears off, there's bound to be some issue or some question that I have to ask and, and understanding who's going to be there to support me. Uh, when that those questions arise, I, I think is something that like in the early parts of the, the process uh, should be covered. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, you know, how it affects your customers, right? So like, we were talking a lot about how it affects you and your business. Um, in my opinion, I don't think it should affect your customers at all. It, it should be seamless. They shouldn't even know that, you know, there's there's an FMS that's even powering anything. So as an example, they're on your website um, and they're trying to log in to their account. Are they doing that, you know, on your website? So, for example, hooverproperties.com slash login. Do I go to there to log in to see, you know, everything about my account? Or um, in, in the same vein, once I find my unit, I want to click reserve or, or I'm going to rent now. Once I click that button, do I stay on your website, complete the, you know, um, I, I give them my credit card number, I sign the lease and do it all there. Or am I taken to a different URL? Right. So like, you know, for instance, like, uh, checkout dot, you know, my or something. Right. You know, I think that's, that's a certain user experience that you have to keep in mind because some customers may find that either confusing or they may not trust it. You know, I'm on, I'm on, you know, hooverproperties.com and all of a sudden I'm go to a different URL, you know, they may think, Hmm, that, that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. So, um, I think that, that integration and kind of how, how, uh, customers interact with it, um, is really important to think about. And, and again, uh, from user experience standpoint, I don't think, uh, they should even never know about it. I think it should be as seamless as possible. Yeah. I, I, uh, I specifically find it somewhat frustrating whenever I'm on a website. I am a, I am a self-storage customer myself. Um, I'm on a website and it goes from the brand location I'm shopping with to a completely different URL whenever I'm trying to rent or reserve or 
input my my payment details. It's just it's just startling. Uh, obviously, being in on the tech side of things, I understand what what's happening. But somebody for somebody that doesn't know, it might be confusing. And so, you know, it's important to to your point, Kyle, to to maintain that kind of user experience across the board. Um, on the other side of things, you know, we've been talking a lot about integrations um, in general. And so a lot of these FMSs right now rely heavily on just API and, and integration. So making sure that that transition, that being from whenever I reserve to sending me a, a welcome text message because they're integrating to a, a service like uh, Swivel or a service like uh, somebody else, like like Twilio or whatnot, um, it should that that should be set up where it tells me, hey, the brand that is reaching out to me, you know, my unit number, what what else is in context, so I understand. I'm like, okay, this it came from from the 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 operator that I just shopped with, um, and it's just seamless. Um, so I I totally agree with you. That's that, that's actually a really good point. Okay, enough from us. Let's hear firsthand from a couple of operators. And by the way, this is not sponsored. And in fact, we don't even do ads. Up first is Grace Toddy, the Vice President of Marketing and Sales at Absolute Storage Management. With over 10 years of self-storage experience and a member of the senior leadership team at Absolute, her role spans operations, marketing, and vendor relations. How and why did you choose current FMS that you're using at Absolute right now? So we chose DoorSwap uh, many, many years ago. It's actually pre my time with Absolute. And I believe the primary drivers were we needed something that could scale with us. We had outgrown our previous provider. And then we also recognized the need for some customization features as well. And so those were the primary reasons. And it's actually funny. We met DoorSwap. They were not in the industry. And so it's been a really neat opportunity for us to find a vendor who we could create something for storage and create something that really was designed for our needs and has now been used by multiple operators and multiple companies within the storage industry. Um, But it was designed out of Absolute's requests. I'm curious. I know you you just mentioned that it was kind of before your your time, but do you have any ideas as to you know if if you all thought as a team it would be better to partner with somebody outside the industry that could get more granular to so the things that you wanted, um, or was that just by kind of y'all y'all were just doing your research and it seemed to fit? I believe it was a culture fit. Is the primary reason why we selected DoorSwap. And and honestly, I don't know if DoorSwap won over other contracts. I think we were just unhappy with the, the provider at the time and weren't terribly impressed with anybody else. Um, there are many more options today than there were. This is, this is 15, 20 years ago. And so there are many more options yeah, yeah, yeah. today than we had back then. Um, and so to find somebody who is capable and able and relatively close to us so that our home office sits in Memphis, Tennessee, 
Dorswap's office is in Starkville, Mississippi, just a couple hours south of Memphis. And so it was convenient to get to, to have these brainstorming sessions with. And their core capabilities mirrored what we needed. They were just operating in apartment complexes and nursing home facilities was their kind of bread and butter. And so we used their core and morphed it into storage for what we needed. What steps do you need to take, um, you know, with your team and even as a business in general to prepare your, the, the facility managers, the folks that will be interacting with this system on a day to day uh, to ensure that transition uh, comes out as expected and that integration is, is set up appropriately? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And for the operators who are looking to switch FMS systems or property management systems, they go by a ton of different names. Um, this does impact like the core reporting, like every day you and your entire team get into this system. And so it is something that you need to prepare for Um even when you select the best vendor and that vendor provides all of the support in the world, as the operator, as the owner, you also need to prepare some, some, um, some time and put some dedication to this. And so some of the ways that we prepare when we make big, big vendor shifts like this is to create a focus team from all different roles. And so grab some of those uh property managers who are going to use it day to day for their systems, uh, different department uh, individuals. And so we pull folks from our marketing team. Uh, We've got collection specialists. We have an internal sales center. So we will pull folks from all of those different departments because they're going to have a different perspective. And when you're looking about looking through tests and validating and making sure that everything is transferring correctly or is functioning correctly, they're all going to have different emphases on those tests. And so creating a focus group is really, really helpful. It also helps um, relieve some of the stress of training too, when you've got a group of folks who can answer questions. Um, Again, it really helps with that testing process, which is another phase. And then we also see it helps with buy-in too. When you have a focus group and that focus groups include peers, of those who are being uh, impacted by this rollout, it helps to get some buy-in that this vendor is is the right choice and moving vendors is the right choice. And so focus teams, I think are really helpful with transitions. You always wanna create a plan too. And so absolute storage management, we have about 150 locations. We never go from zero to 150. Um, I started with a company, we had 60 properties and we still had implementation plans where we rolled out with 10, then another 10, then another 10. Um, And so developing that plan, I think helps make the transition digestible. And with an FMS, you might also be able to roll out functions as well. So not only rolling in your property count, but also different functions and capabilities and adding more once you get a foundation of users on the platform too. So lots of ways to develop that implementation plan, but I think putting it down on pen and paper, like forcing yourself to map it out helps create that journey. And then also provides you with kind of a benchmark as you are rolling it out. It helps you know, are we on track? 
Are we ahead of schedule? Are we behind? And maybe dig into the reasons behind. And so I think that helps. Clearly, some other things that we need to like dig into with transition is going to be training. Uh, we talked about it, Rodolfo, but I think it is worth repeating that FMS impacts everybody and folks get really comfortable with the processes and they are really competent with the current procedures and the current way of where these buttons are located and how they upload images and where to find those attachments. And so pre-training is really important to help demystify or kind of like settle anxiety um, transition training and so repeating that ongoing or repeating that pre-training repeating this is the new process or reminding folks kind of where to go to get this training and then ongoing training is is going to be even more important and so just think through maybe some of those common touch points that happen from a property manager point of view work those in maybe to weekly reminders and i would also say that training needs to happen if it can't be in person, then do a virtual training, have those recorded for future reference. We also do um, like email reminders and we send out SOPs or standard operating procedures pretty regularly. And we also have an internal chat. And so we'll pop out tips and tricks and, hey, do you remember how to do this um, in that chat feature as well? We just find that our team members learn in different ways. And so having training available in different methods and in different ways for them to reference it is helpful. And then clearly you're going to communicate through all of this, but most importantly, don't forget to celebrate. And I think that's the fun part is once you're past all of it, like make a big deal of it because everybody just went through a lot of pain and heartache and uh, headache to get to that end point. And hopefully you made this the switch because you needed new features or you needed a better product and um, you can celebrate like those wins and celebrate that you made it at the end. Um, we've sent out gifts before or gift cards or free lunches uh, just as a company-wide celebration. And so if that's something fun, I think operators kind of skip that and move on to the next project. And I just want to encourage everybody, don't forget it because that's a big undertaking. Um, and so take the time, think through how do you celebrate it at the end. Wow, that was awesome. Uh, I, I loved how you broke that down into those three uh, different phases. And at, at the end, like that that last part of celebrating, you know, it takes a village, right? And so um, that's that's really cool to hear that that's even ingrained into the culture. Um, love the methodical approach to it. It makes sense that, you know, a company your size, um, having to break things up a little bit to, you know, not only kind of see the kinks and, and kind of pinch points are, but you know, you also get to learn from the, that subset of facilities and, and managers and uh, team members that are using it uh, to improve the next rollout and, and ensure that you know, it is as, as streamlined as possible. So um, now that was, that was very ins insightful. Thank you for that. Um, you know, along the lines of FMS, Right. I know you, you did mention like there's so many names for for a property management software, facility management software, this or that. Um, what when when operators doing their research and looking through the 50 FMSs that, that are out there, uh, what key features should an operator be looking for? 
Yeah, I really struggled with this question because there are so many different features that are wonderful and like really helpful. And I think every operator out there, they're going to be looking for something specific or, or something unique or something that like some operators want a heavier focus on um, maybe a task management system where they're there's automation and um, facility manager tasks. Um, we call them work orders in DoorSwap. I think other programs call them task management, and um, but it's things that the property team member has to complete. But if you run remotely, that's not gonna be as important to you um, as somebody who has somebody maybe staffed on the facility. And so I, I came up with some kind of high-level features here. I hope this is what you're looking for, but access is a is a big um, component that we wanted to make sure we had, and that was part of the evaluation, too, when we moved to DoorSwap, is um, they were one of the first, um, especially at that time, where you could have online access. There was no hardware on the property computer itself that um, um, made it difficult to access that information if you weren't physically on site. And so I think that is still today something that's really important and that helps with whether you're remotely managing or managing through a pandemic, uh, but that seamless access where you can access the same amount information virtually online. And then also on your mobile, um, I oftentimes am just at lunch with some operators or owners and they ask me a question about their property and I don't have everything memorized about the properties. And so I have to quickly grab my phone and access a report um, on my mobile. And so just making sure that that's available for you, I think is helpful. It seems easy, uh, but I just make sure that that's available. Uh, clearly in today's day and age, security is huge. And so making sure that whatever, whatever vendor you're selecting has security measures in effect that they manage and they proactively take part of to make sure that your data is always going to be accessible to you. So that uptime or uh, how they house their data is important, but then also it's it's secure. Um, and just some simple things like making sure that users are updating their passwords and that their password isn't the word password. Um, those simple security measures, I think sometimes we just take for granted that it's a question to have. And so I'd encourage y'all uh, operators looking for a new uh, management system to talk about that. And then what's also important for us in particular is vendor autonomy. And that's um, definitely something that we look for in any vendor or any property management system. We wanna be able to control what integrations we have and what vendors we use, what credit card processor, insurance provider, um, chat bot provider or um, website company. We want to be able to say we want to use this company um, and not have any hurdles because of that. There might be an integration fee and that's fine, but um, I don't want conflicting interests to influence the vendors that me as the operator decides is the best vendor for us to use. And that's interesting because this is also outside of this. Sorry for going off script a little bit, but it was it, something that you said earlier in that last question about, you know, how you're so methodical about, you know, you have your own SOPs, you have these focus groups, et cetera. I'm assuming 
whenever you're looking at certain features that you do need uh, a system like an SMS to have, right? Um, are are you also, I guess, within the the focus groups and all that? Not are you also counting not only the your your team members, the, the folks that are actually going to be using this on day to day, but the vendor itself as to see like the level of you know support that they give, et cetera. Is that is that also part of you know you you kind of choosing them and, and fitting into the culture, et cetera? Yeah, a hundred percent. I can't say with a hundred percent like um conviction that we would not choose a vendor like we would not move with this point of sale system because our website provider doesn't have a good experience with them but we will absolutely take that into consideration and have those conversations um, especially because a website and a point of sale system and you add on to that like our revenue management system the property success is really hinging on those partners communicating well and 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 seamlessly and accurately and so yeah we will talk to all of those and i've asked every every like 12 months or so i ask our website provider you know which systems do you like right now which ones um are you seeing are responsive and and don't have any downtime or communicative when issues happen because i think reality is things are going to break, but the expectation is not perfection. That's unattainable, but the expectation is let's work together. Like I need you to know that this impacts my business. And so when things go wrong, I need you to react really quickly. Like I need to be a priority at that point in time. And so, yeah, we ask, we've, I've asked that of our website provider in the past. We asked that of vendors that we are considering using like hey do you integrate with door swap because that's our point of sale system a lot of roads lead back to that uh, system and so it's absolutely one of those questions and so i guess along those lines too you know we've already discussed what features you you look for whenever you're you're looking for a system like this so you know overall what do you what features do you think are missing or maybe that's missing is not the right word, but what features are on your wish list um, that you'd like an FMS provider to start considering um, as must haves for, for operators? Yeah, I loved this question because I really got to think about what wish list items. I, I don't think, I don't think anybody's, like overtly missing things. Everybody can take a payment. Everybody uh, can integrate and do online rentals. Everybody, to my knowledge, like those kind of key functions, all of the softwares out there can can accomplish those. And so it's really like, what's that next iteration, the next wish list? And so from my point of view, so I'm the vice president of marketing and sales. And so I think a lot about marketing and how we're spending our marketing dollars. And so it would be a next level wish list item if the facility management software could somehow capture all of the touch points that led up to them becoming a rental. How many times did they call? How many times did they visit not only my website, but maybe also Facebook pages? And they saw this ad and 
Um, and then if they could also tell me the actual cost for that rental, that would be beautiful. Right now we have to get those from some marketing providers. It's not a part of door swap data or any facility management data, but that would be really, really cool because the income tied to that rental is in the FMS. And so tying both the pre-rental to now the post-rental, that to me really completes a picture for our owners um, and can help drive some business decisions and marketing decisions. I'm curious in that one real quick, you're, you're talking about the cost, the pre-rental mean the, the cost for, for, for acquisition for that lead as it went through and, and how that, um, how that compares to the actual rental or income that you're getting from that rental. Yeah, that would be really slick if we could get that. That's what I'd say. Um, it would be really slick. There's a, an influence component to marketing too that is difficult to measure. And so we know that people drive by and we know that people see our Facebook page. We know that they read our Google reviews. And so if we could somehow like really track and fine tune how many times they interacted with an ad, they interacted with our website, they interacted with, if we could map out that customer journey, it's not, at that point, it's not a customer, that lead journey, um, then you can really dictate or really fine tune the cost per acquisition because there's going to be costs all along that journey. There's going to be a Facebook boosted post cost and that uh, search ad and a display ad and a retargeting ad. There's lots of different pieces of costs along that journey. And so if we can really fine tune the journey and then associate those dollars worth it, then it's a, I, I don't know if it'll ever be a totally accurate cost per acquisition, but it'll be a more accurate than today evaluation of that cost per acquisition. And then ultimately the return on investment, which is uh, what we need as marketers to make the decision on how to spend those operating dollars is that ROI. As a pipeline dream, Rodolfo, I don't know if that's going to be possible in this, uh, <laughs> definitely not this year, probably not next year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now we're talking about the combination, um, you know, the website experience, uh, you know, that's the full customer view, right? The full customer journey um, of the website and an FMS. And I, and I get that's potentially in the bucket of ideas as to why there's FMS providers out there. They're also providing a website platform and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am intrigued by that idea too. Uh, you know, being able to attribute attribution is a big question uh, uh, has a, I feel like a big question mark. It's a hot topic in the industry and many other industries, right? Trying to understand the yeah. lead source, the cost for acquisition, like how deep in the funnel, what, what was the drop off rate, um, et cetera. And so whomever can figure that out, uh, will be helping a lot of people. Yeah. It's basically asking a facility management system to also be a business intelligence tool and integrate with all right. of these vendors and all of these platforms, not just the, the lead management and then revenue like rental and on onward kind of that customer management is what these facility management systems do is they manage our current customers. That's asking to tap into 
before they're a customer, keep up with them and keep track of them and communicate with them and, and report on them. Yeah. You asked for wish lists. I gave oh, you wish lists. <laughs> no, I love it. If only there was a, a tool that could handle a lot of that communication, integrate to all the tools that uh, operators are using. I don't know. Maybe, maybe in some point in the future, we'll see. Oh, I so. have a more practical wish list item that that please, would be cool to, to see today too. Um, and I actually got this just from our conversations with our accounting team. So. Um, that's not entirely accurate. It's it's conversations of when I have vetted other facility management softwares, we're always asking, you know, these are the functions at DoorSwap that we use. Do you have it? And what does yours look like? One of the functions that we have in DoorSwap, I've noticed it's not common for other management softwares, is um, an accounts payable program where our customers, excuse me, our property managers, they typically receive the invoice or they're typically doing some of the day-to-day um, -day ordering of office supplies. Um, I mean, yeah, they just, they're receiving invoices at the facility. And so when they get the invoice, they verify that whatever they ordered is correct. And then when they're happy, they upload that invoice into DoorSwap and they code it to the, ex the correct expense code. And then that stuff just gets pulled into our accounting system and accounting software where we cut the checks from our home office. Um, and so it's just interesting. Again, my experience primarily is with DoorSwap. So I thought that was standard practice, but uh, in vetting and, and hearing from and listening to other facility management softwares, that's not standard. And so I don't know what the, um, like what the setback is or what the disconnect is. Like why does DoorSwap kind of have this sweet spot that other folks aren't picking up on. No, this is this is awesome, Grace. I appreciate all the knowledge that you just dropped. Um, this is what the uh, the younger generation might call uh, fire a fire interview. Um, no, but this is awesome. Any any other things that you want to share? Any last minute uh, advice or or anything that you might have missed? Oh man. You know, I don't think I have anything else that's just crazy out of the box, words of wisdom. Um, operators out there, there's so many different options. And what is a priority for me at, again, 150 locations doesn't need to be a priority for you. And so I would just make sure you've got a list of what is important and don't get too distracted by all of the bells and whistles. Like, just recognize what do you need at your size today? And then maybe what do you need at your size five years from to, from that day or 10 years from that day? Like what's your company goals? And then pick the best provider for you at that. Again, I'm saying 10 year stage because it's been 10 years, 15 years since, since we've moved. And thankfully we have a company that's been able to scale and grow with us. Um, had we not had that, then, then we probably would have needed to reevaluate five years ago. Um, but I just know that usually there's different price ranges for all of these vendors. And so just pick the one that, that you need. Um, you need for the next 10 years of your company, the next five to 10 years of your company and, and start there. We have a saying internally that says, you know, don't let perfection inhibit progression. And I think that applies really well when selecting a, a vendor like this. 
We had the pleasure of speaking with Brett Copper, the director of BizDev and a partner at Copper Storage Management. With a lifetime immersed in the self-storage industry, Brett has collaborated with countless owners and operators nationwide, offering expert insights on management, marketing, acquisition, feasibility, and facility training. Yeah, let's start with, uh, you know, why and how did you choose your current FMS? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. So we have used pretty much every software over the last 20 years uh, for as long as we've been in business. And so we've tested all of the big names, a lot of small names um, with our consulting firm that uh, all the business we've done over the last 20 years. We've really gotten to work with every operator under the sun, uh, a lot of due diligence, a lot of software conversions. Uh, and so primarily through using them, through client feedback, operating our own stores, building a management company, uh, all those factors kind of combined, we really landed on uh, storage for ourselves. And a lot of those factors, you know, included um, how did current big operators feel using the product? Was it easy to use? Is it easy to train? Um does it support remote management? Does it support online rentals? There are all sorts of those questions that for a specific operator have to fit you. Is it right with your pricing model? And so uh, in our minds, StoreEdge ticked that box perfectly where it really lined up with having what we needed, when we needed it, and then it being simple enough and quick enough to implement. Awesome. And when it comes to implementing this type of software, even if you were with another software, right, transitioning from that software, how how did you go about prepping your team for that transition or, or just new software so that they're uh, pretty much successful from the start? Yeah, so we, uh, back in February, we broke our own record. I think we transitioned like 26 software accounts in the same month uh, for, for managed clients. And they came from all different softwares. I mean, I think eight of them were different softwares we had to transition. And so we got a lot of experience uh, through that. Really, depending on the software uh, that you're coming from, the one you're going to should have a checklist. It's very, very important to get that checklist. And they're going to say, these are all of the settings, pieces of information that will carry over, what won't carry over. Our auto pay is going to transition. That's a very important one. Make sure we're going to you know, communicate with tenants. The gate codes are most likely not going to pull over. Um, you know, there's a lot of API issues. Will the website pull over? So whoever you're using your website, uh, whoever's built that needs to change the API keys. There are all sorts of technical pieces depending on the software uh, that may or may not apply. And so you really have to work closely with whoever uh, your onboarding specialist is for that new software and just follow all of their directions and do not leave the tenants in the dark because that is a lot of a big issue a lot of operators do. Well, they just don't communicate with them. Next thing you know, on the first, tenants are trying to pay their bill and they can't sign in. So you really just have to make sure you're diligent about communicating with the software company because uh, they're they're good at what they do and they're good at those transitions. What key features uh, does an FMS need to have right, when an operator is kind of looking and shopping around? Yeah, uh, this is going to be a little different for some companies. You know, when you get a really small operator that's one small facility somewhere, maybe they just want easy storage or a product that uh, is going to be less expensive that, that might be a little bit more simple. But in most cases in 2023, the software has got to be able to do online rentals. That's first and foremost. Online payments it has to be able to integrate with a website, whether it's that software's website provider or it's a third party. You have to have dynamic pricing. 
got to show promotions on the website and it needs to change in that software depending on your availability. Um, good revenue management settings are very important where you can automate a lot of the process. So your ninth 10 by 10 available uh, cost a lot less than your last 10 by 10 available. That's all very important things that need to change on their own. So software needs to do it. The ability to uh, automate collections, so send emails through text or, or collection text, collection emails. Um, the ability to text people is vitally important in today's world. I think a text rate is 10 times more likely to open than an email. Um, really make sure that uh, the features your manager, whether it's off-site or on-site, you're going remote or, or full management, um, making sure that the software has whatever operational needs that your specific operations has. Uh, I know in our case, it's got to be quick and efficient for remote management with nobody on site. So it has to be easier for our managers working from home to be able to manage that site. Uh, that makes all the difference in the world. So make sure that it fits your business model and then really what your competitors are doing today, like online rentals and payments. Last question is, you know, what features do you wish this type of software uh, provided? Um, there's, I know there's, I mean, there's over like 30 or 40 different FMSs. Um, like what's something that's been missing that you think they should offer or start working on? Yeah, one of the biggest is integrating market research. So there are a lot of great softwares out there, but none of them really do the uh, price analysis for you. You usually have to use third-party programs like Aradius, Yardi, TrackedQ, StoreTrack, one of those groups. Uh, but if the software could then take a step further and actually provide it, so when you're setting unit rates, it integrates with one of those platforms and says, yeah, the 10 by 10s in your area have an average of X price, that would completely change it. It would save our revenue management a ton of time, save uh, owners tons of time. I think that that's probably one of the best features that could be added. Um, some softwares, I know storage does this for us, but a lot of other softwares don't. The ability to mail letters directly through the software is huge for both auctions, um, any type of you know legal communication. And there are a lot of softwares who still have not gotten to that update. It's got to happen. A lot of softwares also don't have a mobile-friendly version of that software. Uh, even Storage kind of has issues on mobile. But with our managers, whether they're in the field and you've got a DM that's traveling to a site to, to fix something or do an audit, or whether they're from home, the ability to rent units and help a tenant on your own phone is kind of essential. Uh, especially while you're traveling. And a lot of softwares have not caught up like other industries. It's very difficult to use any of the current uh, PMS systems on your phone. All right, let's jump back into the podcast and wrap this up with decision time. So, you know, taking a step back, we've already talked about how FMSs are, they can be pretty robust platforms. So they're pretty sophisticated um, and at the end of the day, you, it might be a high cost to, to some, but you have to think about it as you, this is more of an investment, right. For your business, uh, to, to hopefully give you your more actual insights so you can make those educated decisions to best operate your business. And so within that, you know, after, you know, you approach them, you request a demo, obviously read your reviews online. Um, you want you want to make sure you ask some of these important questions, right? 
Um, one thing that we've talked about earlier, I think Kylie mentioned it, reports, insights, tracking. So, you know, how, how easy is it for you to access and get that reporting? You know, you want to be looking at your know, revenue uh, tracking, trends, uh, profitability, uh, even customer info and, and behavior. Uh, do, do they have all those reports and insights? Uh, on another side of things, you know, uh, how easy is it to implement it and actually use it? I think, Mason, you were talking about that earlier. Um, do they have educational material? Do they have an onboarding process? Um, maybe if you're coming from a, another FMS, do they have some type of migration tool to help you not lose any any data? Anything else on, on that side? I think if we're talking about like decision time, uh, you know, reputation matters. And so as you go through the sales process with the potential new vendor, uh, you've gotten a sales demo. Uh, I think it's appropriate for any software vendor to ask for customer references, uh, understanding what it's like to live with this day to day and is important. And so talking to somebody that is like you, uh, if you're a 13 location operator, a five location operator, you know, going and asking somebody, Hey, what are the limitations? What do you wish it did better? How are they supporting you? Uh, et cetera. I, I think that's a, a pretty good one. And most vendors in this industry are, are pretty open to, uh, offering that. And I think most operators are open to helping other operators understand why they made a purchase decision or not. I did actually have one, one, one last thing that I don't think a lot of people think about, which is a lot of these FMSs do take credit cards, right? Um, and so I was doing a little bit of research before, and so I wanted to kind of use this as a, this time as a reminder that you know you should actually do uh, should ask about this about their uh, PCI compliance and standards because. Uh, there's a, actually a new set of security standards coming that need to be implemented by no later than 2025, so two two years. So again, for those who don't know, PCI, just uh, an end-to-end uh, encryption to prevent any type of data breach um, or, or, or data being illegally accessed. So that's, that's pretty important for your customers and for your business. Uh, but just make sure you understand that um, they explain that to you, et cetera. And to to that point that Mason you mentioned earlier about tech support, um, that that usually is a, a line item under the MSAs and contracts. So you should find that if they don't have that, ask that and make sure that they do add it into the contract that you're signing. Because um, like like Mason alluded to, it you know that that is pretty important if something happens like what are those defined timelines to, to make sure everything's is back in order well i mean how, how does ai change all this or how does like what's what's going on like ai is here we obviously are really close to it what's going on you know how does it affect fms's i saw the graphic recently that was like you know the the old um uh, Anderson Horowitz software is eating the world and, and it's like the AI is eating the world and it's just like these like fish right so like software was a bigger fish and then AI is just an even bigger fish eating it so uh, you know I think that that answers the question right is like every piece of software is going to become something that is AI driven and I think you know FMS providers need to understand how that's impacting their business model and the service offerings that they uh, provide and I think that's completely different than 
say the t- type of AI that we provide, like we're a conversational AI company, uh, you know, an FMS doesn't need to become a conversational AI company. They should be thinking about uh, things like Copilot, like what Microsoft just did. How do we integrate AI into the product? And one of the things that I think has come up in a lot of conversations, we've talked about revenue management is just utilizing old school tabular data models to figure out what the best pricing structure is. When should I be raising rents so that I can maximize my profit and earnings? You know, this year in self-storage, a lot of the data reports that I've seen is that occupancy levels are down, but because operators were methodically raising rents and doing their rent raise over the last two or three years, their revenue generated hasn't decreased, it's actually increased. And so, you know, having all of those mechanics built into the facility management system, I think are very vital. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, with, with, with COVID, I mean, it completely, you know, disrupted everything and really accelerated, you know, where I think this industry ultimately was headed anyway, but the whole contactless model or, you know, not even ever having to talk to a human or, you know, uh, you know, touch anything like that. Um, you know, I think that's really accelerated like um, that, and I think a lot of the you know the older players in the FMS world they're 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 having to play catch up. But I think we're also seeing a lot of like newer people coming out here. You know, um, starting with you know we are you know very much technology first. Um, you know, we're considering you know the the the, the first idea is contactless and like you know re- remote managed and um, you know very. Uh, mobile and younger, you know, customer, um, centric. Um, I think they're kind of starting there. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're starting to see some of that in the, in the larger companies, but, um, it's, it's really interesting how like quickly a lot of this is, is changing. Yeah. I think in terms of facility management software, like we were talking about earlier, you know, there's the front of office type, uh, customer facing, task, but then there's the back of office, um, you know, w- within an uh, FMS, like Kyle, I think you're, you're talking about earlier, you're, you know, there's, you need to track all the tenants, uh, kind of the history of them. There's notes, et cetera, making sure you're, you're able to manage some type of communication there. So I think like one area that might be interesting to see more FMSs, like kind of try to innovate is, uh, on the concept of like predictive maintenance. Right. So you already have all the units that are available that are not. Um, you have your your tenants there. So like being able to have like this inbox or, or whatever that is that, you know, one, it will tell the store manager, whoever is managing that location um, to use like some type of AI model to detect and identify patterns of, of, you know, that it's telling you that a unit is, you know, something's going on, something's wrong um, or even the facility itself, something's wrong with it. And, and you're, easily able to send a, a human, right, uh, someone on your team to inspect and, and uh, be able to fix it and be able to handle that communication with all the parties involved easily and quickly. On the other side of things, too, I think there's an opportunity there to also use this type of uh, use case to, to pretty much essentially lower operational costs whenever you're thinking about, like, energy optimizing like the 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 energy in the in the facility uh and, and kind of controlling that uh you know with all these facilities coming out with uh 
top level amenities, that being climate control, humidity control, heat, um, whatever that is, um, you're able to kind of uh, separate that into different grids and and, and really uh, optimize kind of the expenditure there on that end. So I don't know, my brain, my brain went on that side of things. Yeah, something last thing that I'll talk about, like future, um, you talk about contactless. And I think, you know, we're talking about the business model of, you know, what the industry calls remote management, unmanned management, etc. But uh, it just reminded me of a conversation I was having earlier today around contactless payments, too. And so, you know, not only accepting credit cards, but like, is do they make it easy to integrate into Apple Pay and GPay and all these uh, different payment methods? And, you know, if they're providing some type of a point of sale system as well that you utilize in the in store, do they have contactless payments that accepts, you know, the latest standard tap to pay uh, style uh, engagements? Because I know, you know, I, I personally prefer not to ever carry a wallet with me if I didn't have to, I still have to carry a wallet, but I definitely personally pr- prefer to pay using my Apple watch and Apple pay, et cetera. We did figure out a way to bring some statistics into the podcast, even with uh, we did. without having <laughs> too many stats in this nerd episode of uh, facility management systems. But, you know, I think that, that that's a pretty good wrap here. You know, we kind of walk through uh, a lot of you know, why the facility management system is so important into the business operations of a self-storage operator. Uh, A lot of the things that you should be looking out for uh, when you are trying to make a decision. Uh, Anything else that we want to do before we wrap and say goodbye and and, and say see you on the next one? I do want to thank all the uh, operators that helped us out, kind of gave their input today as well. that was awesome, and and hopefully y'all like this enough that we'll continue to to do that in uh, the future episodes. Yeah, and then uh, as always, thanks for all the feedback. We'd appreciate a review as always. You know, five stars. Let us know wherever you listen to podcasts, and apparently, like eighty percent of you listen on 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 uh, through through Apple. So um, it's really easy to go give us a review there. All right, thanks for listening. <laughs>